Kamala before the storm. From Fox News Radio, I'm Dana Perino. I'm Chris Starwald. And this is Perino and Starwald. I'll tell you what. Tell you what, I will give you that one. That That's a good, a good one. That's a good one. Bonewald, a game. Yeah, I didn't even have to rewrite it this time. <laughs> <laughs> now you're now you're just dragging him to try to make him talk. You're gonna you're gonna we're gonna wear him down over time through dragging. Um, yeah. Hey, so I I was listening to another podcast uh, that Fox News produces last night, okay. and yes, I gotta say it's good. Okay. Okay. And they ask for reviews at the top of their podcast. Yeah. We got to get serious. we don't really – we're just like whatever because, you know, we're just doing this for fun. And but we're I, not competitive I, or whatever. I'm super competitive. And Jonah Goldberg now citing you – or uh, citing uh, reviews that cite you for introducing him. I know, but or, not thanking me. But not thanking you. Not and thanking by the way, me. I'll take the next step forward. He had Chuck Lane on this week. I love Chuck Lane. I was Chuck listening Lane to that this morning. Good, so was I. Such a good, smart, thoughtful person. Uh, such a good journalist. It's a great episode. I think everybody ought to listen to it. But by gum, they ought to review us. And they ought to favorably review us because this is the kind of malarkey that America needs right now. Indeed. The Kamala before the storm. <laughs> Where else are you going to get that, people? Where are You're you going? You're not going to get it anywhere else. So for the Kamala be- before the storm. Um, but just because I, I want to be kind to my colleagues, um, Tyrus and Timp, it's pretty funny. All right. It's pretty funny. I liked it. Go. Like last night when I was walking home, I thought, well, I don't really want to listen to that or that or that. I'm like, I just need something light. And I put it at 1.5 speed. It just got me home right away. I can't do the, the sped up. I can. Cannot do it. It is not. It, it makes me twitch. It's like too much coffee. I'm having a. I'm having a caffeine issue. What kind of issue? Lack of or too much? Okay, so I believe that French press coffee. No, let me say it better. My favorite way to drink coffee is made in a French press. Um, some people like acid in coffee. So people who like to drink espresso and they p- twist the little lemon zest or lemon peel on it. So they like the bright acidic notes of coffee. I like the oil. I like the rich flavor of coffee. I like the deep side. Um, And so I think French press is really good at extracting those oils. I really like the way the coffee tastes. But I have been buying store-bought coffee for two years, and I'm only just now getting back into my rhythm of being – because you need the kettle and you need the French press. I use cream uh, in the morning for my first – for my morning coffee, I like cream because I think it's too – too much without it. But I want to tell you, if you miss just a little bit the other direction, I I thought I had been like smoking bath salts yesterday because I had like 30% too much coffee in the mix and I was I was climbing the walls. So I got to be I got to be careful about my caffeine intake and and regulate my french press intake. Okay. This but shouldn't I'm, I'm be fine. that hard. It is hard. It's challenging. It's also because it's cold outside so you drink more hot things this is true and one of the other reasons by the way i like french press coffee i don't like things too too hot i don't want it to be too too hot i'm not into that yeah peter likes it like not so hot not so hot same with soup same with anything i like it warm i like it nice and warm but not too hot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i like this it is hot how i feel you like it hot yeah i don't like like luke like lukewarm i can't do the lukewarm Mm-mm. do you- do you drink coffee? No. I drink I mean, tea. I, I drink say, a lot of tea. 
You drink a lot of tea. I, I drink a lot of mate of tea. M a t e mate tea. Yerba mate. Yes. Or what is yerba mate? I've always said that to I mock things, but I don't really of, know what it is. I think it's some sort of plant from South America. And the, okay. Ar- the Argentinians drink it. It's kind of like a Arge- green tea type thing. All right. I'll buy that. Oh, my friend Ingrid, she introduced me to it, and I quite like it. Okay. I like a I'm green fo- tea. I like a jasmine pearl green tea. You have very rarefied tastes. Very rarefied taste. I bought a box of tea, and it was Lady Grey. Not Earl Grey. Oh, I was like, everything pe- gray is the worst. Oh, I love bergamot. No, it's the it smells like perfume. I didn't know that you were one of these people. I like bergamot. Oh my gosh. I like bergamot. Oh my oil. gosh. Yep. Do you know that there's I'm a, a little bit of a hippie? Remember Steve Hayes? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard of him. We all know yep. Steve Hayes. Okay, so Steve is um, somebody like me. He loves English breakfast tea. Can't stand the Earl Grey. But did you know that most in most places across America, actually across the world, this happened to me in Spain as well. I said, I'll have an English breakfast tea. And they bring Earl Grey. It's not the same. And no, if it's you not get the same. like room service and they bring Earl Grey, it's, ah, uh, there's nothing worse because it smells so bad. Oh, I like it. Oh, I quite like bergamot. It should not be drank. It should be just <laughs> like used in potpourri or something. For hippies. For the hippies. Yes. I don't know. Not okay. good. <laughs> Not ah, good. dirty hippies. What can you do? Well, okay. Speaking of all that, I don't know. That's not a very good transition. See, like last night on the cat, uh, the the Tim and Tyrus or Tyrus and Tim po- podcast. Whenever they have a good transition, they get sound effects, and we oh. get we get literally nothing. We were the pioneer of this podcast. Whole this whole scene. Actually, I think Bill Hemmer was before us. No, we were the okay. So Jason's saying we were the very first. Do we get anything fancy? And apparently they bring them water when they're doing their podcast. Like, okay, well, I, n- no one's ever yeah, brought they would me bring water. You water. They would bring you water. I know, but I like what do Cat and Tyrus ask for water and then they bring water? They Look, do. I'm down here oh, and you they see do. It. They're demanding. Oh, interesting. Oh, see, there you go. The worm turns. Mm-hmm. Now we know the rest. Now, as Paul Harvey would have said, now you know the rest. I of the love story. the rest of the story. I used to hear that on my grandpa's. Harvey. When I was in the pickup, and we were headed to town, we would listen to Paul Harvey. Good. Day. A lot of people here. We're dating ourselves. Well, my I, one of the things I love uh, loved about Paul Harvey. So there's a certain kind of dialect. Um, my father from Southern Illinois. Um, there is I, – I don't know how you describe – Jimmy Stewart kind of had – and your voice kind of goes up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, my dad had that – that was his accent or dialect. I don't know what the right word – he he spoke in a very general American dialect uh, hovering out somewhere between Kansas, Iowa, and Nebraska. In, he, and he had been a broadcaster when he was in the Army. Um, and he was a good one. Uh, I have all of his tapes. But the uh, he had that little upturn at the end, at the end of, and I so I love I love Paul Harvey because he had that same he had that same sound. Do you know who filled in for Paul Har- Paul Harvey for a while? I do not. Tony Snow. Per perf. Yep. Perfect. Yep. yep. Ooh, yeah. He's very good at it. Very very Perfect. good. At it. All right, politics. One, one, right. two, three. Boom. <laughs> Secretary Pompeo. Yep. See, I had to do my own side effects there because 
we don't get side effects. I don't want. They're called sound effects, not side effects. Oh yeah, side effects. That's from side effects. Side effects. Right. This, this podcast definitely has side no, look, effects. I have side effects from this podcast. That's one hundred percent true. One hundred percent true. But there are no sound. Remember, effects. we didn't even name it for three years because I was like, I'm not doing this permanently. Exactly. You name it, you own it. You name it, you own it. That's why you don't name the livestock. Okay, Pompeo, Secretary Pompeo, Senate um, run. Is Kansas. he going to run for Senate in Kansas? And why he, would he do that? Is this a good idea? What's going on? Well, it's certainly it, – there, there's a thing that's true. If somebody says to you – so let's say um, when you were a, um, a, a single gal, um, if a guy that you weren't really interested in but who is a very handsome guy, very well thought of, was friends with all of your friends and all of those things, if he asked you out on a date, you might just want to go on one date. Right. And you might just go on one date because he's a catch and you don't want to hurt his feelings. You don't want your friends to. So you just go. And then afterwards you could say, yeah, I don't think it's a match, but it was great talking to you. Really great conversation. And thanks for dinner. And thanks for dinner. I didn't really like that. Right. And dating. But yeah, I know what you mean. And so so there's something like that in politics. If your friends, if the people. So you've got in. So Kansas politics is is weird because you've got two centers of gravity. You have. The, you have suburban Kansas City on one side, and you've got Wichita on the other side. Wichita happens to include a company called Coke Industries. Uh, and I don't know whether you know this, but the Coke family has some throw weight inside Republican politics. A little bit. Uh, and, th- and that's the side of the state that Pompeo's from. And that's out where his district was. Mm-hmm. And if the president, let's say, or let's say the Kochs or let who, whomever say to you, former congressman, hey, you really ought to take a look at this because they have a problem, by the way. Um, the problem is Chris Kobach, who unseated the sitting Republican governor. This is the guy who's a former attorney general uh, for the state and who was on the president's voter fraud committee. So Chris Kobach is threatening to run or going to run. Now, he could lose that seat in a heartbeat for Republicans in Kansas. Pat Roberts has had that seat, you know, since jo- I think John Brown voted for him the first time. Um, the So if Kobach runs, the Republicans can really lose the seat. It's really possible. And so they need, the Republicans out there need a good candidate who can basically clear the field, has high name identification, has resources, and can push through a primary without getting torn asunder by Kobach, who will run to anybody's right. He will always run to anybody's right, and he will always say that whoever this person is is soft on immigration. And Pompeo is one of the few people in that state, and especially because the president likes him, that could shove back against Kobach, win and win that, and then in the general have it be a perfectly safe seat the Republicans don't have to worry about. So if you're Pompeo, even if you like being Secretary of State, you can't ignore your friends and your longtime supporters when they say, hey, you got to take a look at this thing because we're kind of in trouble out here. Would would Kobach actually run again ap- even after he lost last time? Uh, have, you, have you tracked his career at all? Yeah, no, no, I got, got you, got you, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Pompeo, does that ha- is that a decision that has to be made right away? Pompeo gets a little bit more latitude when somebody like Matt Schlapp was talking about it. That means that if, if he were to run, he'd have to move back to Kansas pronto because he's been in Washington for a long time. He'd have to reestablish his Kansas bona I think he's days. always wanted to run Matt Schlapp, and he's always he loves Kansas. 
and and he loved and he would be and look as I've said to others before I'm not impartial on this question Matt has been a friend of mine for a long time yeah me too I, uh, and I really, you know, he is a good man, mm-hmm. uh, a good dad, and a good friend. So I'm not in a position to be impartial here. But I also happen to think he'd probably make a pretty good senator, mm-hmm. um, and all, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. But leaving that, he'd have to go back now, like, essentially. Like, yeah. And and reestablish, like, look, I am a Kansas. I've been living in Washington for a long time, but, but I've been fighting I'm, for you. I've been fighting for you, and I'm back, mm-hmm. and I'm ready to do it. Mm-hmm. Pompeo has a different situation. He represented Kansas in Congress until quite recently. Uh, and he has been very visible in service of a president who is pretty popular in Kansas, and he would have more latitude. He can't wait forever. Uh, he would have to make his mind up pretty soon, but he has a little more latitude just because he represented a Kansas district until 2016. So he's not he – ha- he hasn't been away forever. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, depending on what you like, I'm surprised Pompeo doesn't need to make money. I, I'm, the thing that surprises me, Pompeo never got rich. He had a successful career after West Point, after his Army service. He had a successful career. But he's not like a lot of these senators are and crazy rich. Um, he's not, uh, uh, you know, well, I was going to uh, – Mark Warner or one of these people who's mega, mega rich. And the Senate is a very enjoyable and engaging – a way to pass time in your, you know, in on the on the back nine, um, but uh, I don't think Pompeo's in that situation. Uh, but you know, I think he's a guy. He liked being in. Con- I know he liked being in the House. I know he liked being in Congress. Well, and he's a good Secretary of State for the President. Um, yeah, he's out there representing. In fact, he gave a speech at Davos, basically saying international institutions are are bad and don't work well and. I was kind of surprising from an American Secretary of State. I think I think Pompeo has been very effective. There is a there's good ways and bad ways for to, for folks to deal with Trump inside of his cabinet. So you watch a study in contrast. So Rex Tillerson dug his heels in and said, "I will not be moved." The things that, as he later said, you know, the things you're asking me to do are illegal. They're wrong. Um, and I think there's another school of thought, and I think you see it in Mick Mulvaney. I think you see it in Mike Pompeo, which is it's like a duck. Um, you, you know the story about the duck. Uh, it's all placidity above the waterline. Yeah, that was me but, at the White House podium. But paddling like hell underneath. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that that's what – oh, OK, moving like, – and I think there's a study in contrast here between, say, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. McConnell has always had less to say about what Trump was doing. Uh, Ryan uh, had would would speak out uh, against the language or conduct or proposals of the president, and he would speak out in a public way. McConnell would would do it in private, and it's two schools of thought. I think Pompeo has been effective at steering. And if you just look at the serious stuff. Okay, we're pulling out of Syria. Well, now, (laughs) it's complicated, and we are actually coming up with a larger strategic framework in which this is possible because every, you know, every smart person recognizes that the the story for the world – uh, and Syria is far from over. We are far, we are far from done with the discussion about what happens when you take. And I I'm, I want extra points for this. When you take a country that was carved out of the remnants of the Ottoman Empire, uh, 
that has never been a cohesive place in the world and is having a, a, a horrible genocidal civil war for all of this time. And it's, it is a, a place of no value except for its location, except for the neighborhood that it's in. And the Russians want it and the Iranians want it and the Turks want part of it. And we've got our allies, the Kurds there. We have a presence in Iraq next door. And the uh, the Israelis are getting very agitated about what's going on. Everybody knows we're not done talking about what's going to go on in Syria. And Pompeo has been part of helping to say, well, what the president really means is as soon as it's practical, we're going to get everybody out of there. But everybody should also know that if you mess up, we will come back and kill you. Mm. Speaking of secretaries of state, mm-hmm. side effect or sound effect. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think side effects are better. I think that it's actually it's like one of those accidental accidental things you say, uh-huh. but that becomes like a thing. I think it's a thing. It's a side it's effect. It's a side effect. <laughs> um, what do you think of John Kerry when he was asked, what would you advise President Trump? And he said, resign. I mean, come on now. Whatever. I resign mean, for Karen. what? I mean, come on. Honestly. <laughs> Turn out for what? Resign for what? Honestly. Uh, John Kerry, I mean, you know, God love him. Okay, how about State of the Union Gate? Um, so I kind of – this is where we are right now. The, the Nancy Pelosi invited him on January 3rd. Last week she said, actually, maybe it would be better for you just due to security and the shutdown that maybe you should reschedule. So she doesn't come out and say, I'm disinviting you until the government She said, let's reopened. talk. We should talk about finding a time that mm-hmm. is better. All right. And then the, the next day over. he canceled her trip to Afghanistan 30 minutes uh-huh. before the thing. It was very funny. And you know they waited. You know. Oh, of course they did cuz they didn't say anything until right before then. It was you better know, All of know, this is better than Veep, all of it. Right. Oh, you you know that uh Jared Kushner was hiding in the bushes like outside waiting to drop that. Waiting where it's like they're okay, wait, wait. Okay, go 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 go. So, yes, they did that. Okay. Now, the president sent a note yesterday. His office said, we'd like to do a security walkthrough. Thank you very much. I don't know if they let them do that or not. And the speaker apparently told her caucus this morning, don't invite your families to D.C. next week, folks, indicating maybe there won't be a State of the Union. And the uh, the press secretary says the president will speak to the nation, and she says no one does it better. Um, He's going to speak to the nation, whether at the Capitol or somewhere else, but he— he is going to give a State of the Union address somewhere next yep. Tuesday night. So yep. that's where we are. So f- 60, 66 years? Well, anyway, for a long time. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, this – so really actually going all the way back to 1934. So the modern convention on the State of the Union uh, address – it's established by Roosevelt in 34, I believe. And Roosevelt sort of played it to the high heavens. Um, his immediate successors, Truman and Eisenhower uh, may, and Kennedy, made it a, a clubby. It, it was a more late. It was a daytime. It was a daytime affair. There was a lunch. There was, as I wrote yesterday, uh, chicken salad and watercress sandwiches were probably available. Um, and it was a the, – the Constitution says – that the chief executive shall from time to time, doesn't say every year, but shall from time to time uh, inform the Congress about the State of the Union uh, and make whatever recommendations he thinks would be helpful for legislation. 
So it, it's it's one clause. It's Article Two, Section Three, and it's in the paragraph basically that relates to what the duties are of the president, duties and privileges that the president has as it relates to the legislative process and as it relates to Congress. And it's it's vague, and it is included basically to make sure the chief executives did not withhold information, so that, that a, so Congress could say, hey, look, you got to tell us what's going on. Um, it was really FDR. It started with um, Woodrow Wilson in the 20th century, but it was really FDR who annualized it, normalized. Like this is what this is what we do. And then in 1964, Lyndon Johnson um, needed to put the stamp of legitimacy on his presidency, which had begun in tumult. Uh, on an airplane in Dallas uh, on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, that he wanted he want he never had an inauguration, and he wanted a ratifying of that, and he used that State of the Union the following January to do that, and he made it a prime time. It was a prime time television event, which is it had not been that before, and he turned it into that, and we've been stuck with it since then, because no president is going to turn down the opportunity for roadblock coverage across every network and the the, the in, as we've talked about before there is the the most single most fundamental bias that I know in journalism is the bias towards schedulable events right the Iowa caucus why do, why do the Iowa caucuses get this much attention they're not that important the Iowa caucus this is the year the Iowa caucuses are going to go away Iowa caucuses don't matter this year wrong because they're schedulable they're knowable they're a thing that's on the calendar that's going to occur and reporters by the hundreds nay the thousands shall descend upon pizza ranches uh, and uh, car dealerships and rotary clubs across the state of Iowa because it's a knowable schedule event states of the union are attractive to reporters and attractive to news organizations because they're knowable and schedulable yep and this is the and day you have something to happen. compare to what happened last year it's right it's 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 all baked in so now we're at the point where Pelosi says, my the I, my joke was this would be like if you invited somebody to a barbecue at your house, and then you said, oh shoot, actually next Thursday is bad for us. What do you say? We let's talk about another time. <laughs> so then, what do you do if the person shows up on the on the never texts you back and just shows up on the time? And I said, of course. With a, with a cooler of limeritas and says, I'm here for the barbecue. And then this puts Pelosi in a very awkward position. Does she say, no, you may not. And we have the sergeant of arms refuse the president of the United States entry to the House, oh, which God. he would be obliged to do. Oh, my and God. And by the way, Trump would love. That, oh, my God. Of course. Would love and and MAGA Nation would love it. Yeah. And the and, and it's funny because they want to be so disruptive. But then Kevin McCarthy, he just said, um, this is a res- well-respected tradition and we should keep the tradition of respecting the president and having inviting him to give a speech. I'm like, OK, yeah, but I thought traditions were sold. So like 2012. Right. And and also Pelosi would would rebut. Now, look, she started it. Um, and what she did, she said, is over safety, but is obviously a way to punish the president, to, to increase the pain on the president during the shutdown. Um, but she did start it. But Trump 
is never going to let a slight like this pass. And you do have the possibility where the sergeant of arms has to refuse Trump. Trump would love it. It would be like uh, the 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 inanity surrounding what happened with those kids on the at the Lincoln Memorial. It would be so many hot takes, all of the clicks, all of the rage. It would be a tailor made performance for Twitter, where blame would be cat. It would just be. The perfect it would be it would be what we deserve, frankly, what we deserve would be a two week stupid discussion about the pre- whether or not the president was rightly or wrongly, who was more in the right, who was more in the wrong, uh, castigating the liberal press, castigating the conservative press, attack upon attack, multiplied a thousand times over. And guess what? At no point in that does the Coast Guard get a paycheck. At no point in that do we undo the economic harm. That is now forecast to be at we're at to have a stagnant economy in this quarter because of this. All of the consequences that are piling up for real human beings, they're letting people that people are going to their bosses and saying, I have to claim economic hardship. And if we make it to Friday, that'll be two pay periods that these workers have missed. And we're talking here about more than 800,000 people. We're talking about probably now more than $10 billion in missed wages to say nothing of the payments to contractors, to say nothing of the disruptions and other services that the government provides. Now you have people who are going to their supervisors who have been forced to go to work without pay. And they say, I have to invoke economic hardship because if I don't go get some money in the door, if I don't leave here and get down to the Home Depot or someplace where they'll hire me on so I can bring some money in the door, I'm not going to make it. And we're to that point. And all of this great performative stuff about the stupid State of the Union, which is a terrible institution, which does no good and should have been allowed to die the if uh, Richard Nixon should have killed it uh, after Lyndon Johnson left office. But Richard Nixon should have done a lot of things. Uh, but this terrible institution, a, a lengthy fight over this terrible, useless institution, uh, will take precedence over the fact that we have a government uh, full of people who are so partisan and so selfish and so narrow in their in their self-interest that they will not even pay the Coast Guard. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yep. Um and the FBI having to, you know, the, the FBI can't finish their jobs. Okay, all that stuff. So Ugh. we don't know what the shutdown. We, we don't. It's maybe there's a path. Um, Clyburn, the number three uh, Democratic leader in the House, has said, "Tell you what, give him five point seven dollars for a smart border security plan." Okay, so he's saying that would. To me, that's like what everyone agrees on. Even Trump has said, "I don't need a concrete wall across two thousand miles." Right. So I'm like, well, isn't that the, isn't that the agreement then? Well, so and Colin Peterson from Minnesota, a congressman up there, he said, just give him five point seven billion dollars. Just make sure it's spent well, because Congress can do that, right? They can say, like, where how is this right. money going to be spent? You can you, you can you can build this. You can't build that. Yeah. Uh, this money's for this. It's not for that. Um, so the 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 frame. So things changed yesterday. And the change came from the Supreme Court. The administration had a plan. Plan is, you're going to appeal. They're going to urge the Supreme Court to render a decision on uh, the lawsuit challenging the Obama administration's special protections for people who were brought to the United States illegally as minors, and the DACA 
And so the challenge to DACA, the Trump administration said to the Supreme Court, we need it. We need an answer on this right, right, right now. Because if the Supreme Court had said, yes, in fact, Obama did have the authority to grant these special protections, then Trump would say, well, if he has the authority to grant them, I have the authority to rescind them. Right. I have the, I, we have been a judge to have broad authority on this subject, and I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to just I'm going to go bonkers with it, and it would give him more leverage over Democrats because it would broaden his authority. And by the way, even Obama knew what he was doing to was circumventing Congress, and certainly it might be within the it, as Judge Napolitano likes to say, it might be legal, but it's not constitutional. Um, but if the Supreme Court affirmed Trump in that. Then okay, uh, he's got he's got more string to play with. But conversely, if they had said no, Obama did not have that authority, and those protections are hereby rescinded, then Trump could say, "Oh, you better give me my money, or I'm going to start deporting these people." He could threaten that and say, "They're no longer protected. You better act now and give me what I want, or these people are going to go. Or they're going to be shipped to countries that they have no memory of, may not even speak the language." Um, did so, you see that? Um the CBS poll this morning showed that 71% of people polled said that a border wall is not worth a government shutdown. Right. And Trump's approval goes down to 36 in that particular yep. poll. Yep. Um, the thing I keep thinking about on the Republican side is even though the president came out on Saturday and had that um, offer where he said, OK, well, look, we can reopen the government. Uh, give me $5.7 billion and I'll do these three things. Um, three years. I'll give them three, three years. Three years. And I, I actually thought that I, I, I thought it was smart because it made the Democrats have to react. Yeah. But it's also when you look in the details of what he offered, it's not very good. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, mu- it's not much. It's not much. So so just to, to close the piece on the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said, nah, and blew him off and said, we're not taking it up right now. We don't think it's ready. Now, of course, it isn't ready because the legislative branch, the preeminent branch, the first branch, and the second branch, the executive branch, are in a discussion over this very matter. And the Supreme Court is saying, "When, like, go away with this. You figure, you figure out what you want to do. If there's a legislative solution at hand, we're not going to bother rendering a difficult constitutional decision on this executive order if the thing is going to be rendered moot eventually anyway. So you go ahead and do this and told the administration, no, and it'll be at least 2020 before they get to it. That means that that's why you're now hearing from the administration or about the administration. Well, maybe green cards for all of the DACA people. Maybe but only the- for 70,000, only the ones that are currently registered. Right. And this what this means is, though, that the the bargaining position, the Supreme Court substantially weakened the bargaining position of the executive branch because they no longer have this threat of that they could bring harm to these people to get Democrats off the stick. And that has that is changing the discussion substantially. And also, don't forget, don't forget, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell said to Donald Trump in December, hey, you know what you ought to do? You ought to sign this and you ought to take this money and you ought to go ahead and get us to October and so that we don't give the Democrats the upper hand here. The the Congress was entirely in Republican control when the shutdown started. They could have avoided all of this, but instead Trump two things. He knew that if he that if he did not build the wall, which is fungibly defined, but if he did not if there was not 
a, a he, he was not striking a blow for a border a big blow for border security here that he would pay a price with his base. He believed that. And the other thing is this shutdown works for Trump and Pelosi to a to a degree politically. He's taking a pasting with the general electorate, and he's down now. And as you said in the CBS poll, he's down in the 30s. We have a poll coming out today. By the time folks are listening to this, we'll have a poll. Uh, or, or soon to have a poll out this evening, 6 o'clock, on Special Report with Brett Baer. You can see it there first. Um, but, the, you know, the polling has been unanimous that the president's taken a pasting overall. But within the group of his hardcore supporters, they're staying with him firm. And he doesn't have to talk about other stuff. And Nancy Pelosi doesn't have to talk about other stuff. Because she doesn't have to talk about what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to do. She doesn't have to talk about impeachment. She doesn't have to talk about anything else because she's able to say, look, we're in the middle of a shutdown right now and we're not going to litigate this question. We just got to get through this. So I did something on The Five yesterday that um, kind of surprised some people, but I don't think I should have surprised them that much. I was just trying to make a point. We were talking about 20... 22- no, 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 no. That oh, would be okay. normal. Um, okay. At twenty, we were talking about twenty twenty Democrats and how mm-hmm. um, just they're all of them starting off basically reliving their past, right? And having to say, actually, I, I disavow that. I shouldn't have said this. That was what, I was being too selfish. Blah, 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 all this stuff, kind of like apologizing. But one of the things I said was that the Republicans better pay attention to the economic message that the Democrats are starting to put together. And I've seen it in a few places. Okay. Um, and so I started to say, like, the Democrats' argument about the economy in the Trump era is basically this. The president ran on tax cuts. They did the tax cuts. They only helped the rich. How do we know they only help the rich? Well, look at the fact that the stock market is up. Look at the fact that the billionaires are more wealthy than they were uh, before, look at the fact that the businesses that got the tax breaks didn't reinvest in their companies, and they instead did all these stock buybacks. Right. And all of this, they've they've increased their wealth by X amount, while ra- wages have only gone up by less than two percent. How is that fighting for you? How is all of these things have hurt you? Uh, they've hurt your buying ability. Nobody is better off in America, except for the very wealthy because of President Trump. And I'm starting to see this. I saw it in some op-eds. And, um, you know, Marianne Marsh, our friend who uh, comes mm-hmm. on Fox, she's a Democrat, worked for uh, Bill Clinton, and, and now it is at Dewey Squared. She writes once a week for FoxNews.com, and I read her column. And I thought, you know what? If you're out there and you're paying attention to this election, and you, you are either a Democrat or you are willing, you're, maybe you're independent and you're willing to listen... Their arguments, maybe they could be picked apart point by point and there could be counter punching from the Trump administration on each one. But put together, it's actually not bad from an argument standpoint. Right. And it will, of course, depend on who is making that argument and it will depend on how um, rarefied some of the suggestions are. So let's take Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. So you've got – a growing chorus on the left side of the Democratic Party that Medicare for all means Medicare for all. It means the Bernie Sanders version and in which essentially you would crater the private insurance market because Medicare would be open to every American. And that would mean that employers who are sick of paying the price for insuring 
uh, for providing insurance for their employees would say, congratulations, <laughs> see you later. And the, the spin down would be, as, as I've never seen an economist disagree on this question, the spin down would be dramatic. And we would move rapidly toward a two-tier system in which there are most of the people, you know, 80% of the people are in the Medicare and 20% of the people, the rich people, are paying for, for – it would be like Britain where there's two, there's two realities. And that's, that is a, a picture that Trump or any Republican – could convincingly paint and say he wants to blow up your health insurance. He has a radical idea for your health insurance. So what Democrats are now trying to do, more moderate Democrats are trying to do, is define down what that means. Well, when you say medic when I say Medicare for all, I feel I mean Medicare for more. And we ought to let people buy in when they're fifty five. Or we ought to Sherrod Brown says we ought to let um, former firefighters and police officers uh, buy in. And and looking for ways to bump it out and expand coverage for more people as opposed to blowing the bottom out of the private insurance market. You even have Tim Kaine that says, hey, remember the the public option? Let's talk about the public option again. So the Democrats are kind of scrambling because they could get, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gets way more attention than she deserves. But she is so much like Donald Trump. Yeah. And she is winning – She's making those among, arguments. She is winning among Democrats in the same way that Donald Trump won among Republicans. Well, and also, she, like today, the knives are out for Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. So some people in his camp um, put out some talking points with the rationale for his candidacy. And this morning, you see this um, uh, ad, uh, I'm sorry, a New York Times story that has been placed that says Joe Biden gave a paid speech in Michigan for $200,000. For one speech, if you can imagine that. That's what I get. I don't know what yeah, you're right. talking about. Yeah, right. Well, you, got, you, you must have a better uh, speaker's bureau than I do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so Joe Biden gave this paid speech in Michigan. It was three weeks before the 2018 midterms. And in that speech, he praised Congressman Upton, who was in a tough right, – that race was competitive Yeah. up there in Michigan – um, obviously, Upton is a Republican, and local Democratic leaders were stunned and considered it a betrayal. Mm-hmm. So they want to take him out early. Like I, I also thought that in the talking points when they were saying Joe Biden's, uh, you know, his his allies are saying all these great attributes of him, and they include the one, and it happens to be true, that he served thirty five years in the Senate. And I'm thinking that's not. I wouldn't lead with that if you want to run in this era. Well, the infliction of harm, the intentional infliction of harm, the, it, uh, if you think about what a, what a kind of a crazy way it is to have a primary system. So you expose each other's weaknesses to the greatest degree possible. And by the way, so let's take um, Kamala Harris. The things that she's under attack for by Democrats now – are things that would serve her well in a general election with independent voters, which is tough on crime, prosecutor, uh, not a soft touch, and uh, uh, opposed some uh, prison reform suggestions, and was a uh, was a friend was a friend of police, and being a friend of police is not well thought of inside the left wing of the Democratic Party. So she's going to be scourged for it 
and she's going to be punished for it, even though that's just exactly the kind of thing that would work in the general election. So how do you navigate if you are Biden or you're Harris or you're somebody who has this great saleability in a general election? How do you navigate this place without becoming – look, Kristen Gillibrand has made herself ridiculous. She's made herself – she's like a triple Romney. Yep. Um, I was A-rated by the NRA and then I wasn't. And I was tough on crime, and then I said abolish ice. And I was, the, and I was, and, and uh, I was the um, beneficiary of the Clinton machine. And now I repudiate Bill Clinton. It's she. She has. She has made herself ridiculous in trying to suck up to these voters. And by the way, by the way, here's the here's the cruel joke. If you are dancing to the tune that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are piping. Do you think that their voters are going to say, I appreciate you, insincere recent convert. I now choose you over my heart's desire. No, those votes are not available to more moderate Democrats. You're the only way that a moderate gets through this Democratic field. Uh, Harris's best hope, and she's not exactly moderate in, compared to the broader spectrum, but she's moderate for a, a Democrat in this field. The only way that somebody like Harris gets through is that the far left rips itself apart to such a degree that war – can you imagine right now, think with me, about what New Hampshire, the New Hampshire primary between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders looks like? They're both from neighboring states. They're both far left. They're in a state that is that, – that the Democratic base is whiter than cream cheese and very liberal. And just the savagery of that fight is terrifying to think of. What a spectacle. The only way that you're going to make it through, if you are her, maybe you're better O'Rourke if he ever gets off the road, uh, is that you've got to hope that the far left rips itself apart to such a degree that you can skate by with a, with a minority, with a, with a plurality. Other than that, you know, if, if you suck up to him too much, you make yourself ridiculous. I did think that Kamala Harris um, and the point that she has a lot, all that backing and the, all, and the ready support of the historically black colleges um, mm-hmm. and universities, that is kind of interesting. And her sorority. I forget which. Yeah. Um, the But the oldest um, African-American sorority. Yep. And, you know, what, we talk a lot about the importance of being a wink candidate. And a wink can- – Obama is a great example uh, Reagan was a great example. George W. Bush is an example. Because of something about them, whether it's their biography, whether it's their – in Reagan's case, it was the fact that he was willing to to take Gerald Ford to the convention, almost to the door of the convention in 1976. That when he was running in 80, he didn't have to suck up to his base too much, right? Uh, Barack Obama, middle name Hussein – uh, ranked by National Journal as the most liberal senator from the south side of Chicago, did not need to spend a lot of time re- uh, reassuring liberal Democrats that he was one of them. By culture, by uh, nativity, by uh, career, he wa- – he, so that gave him room to move because he could say, look, OK, you see me, I see you, I got you. Um, Kamala Harris can do the same thing. She's of – uh, mixed ancestry. She's from Oakland, uh, which is not exactly. It, she definitely uh, was a child of privilege to a certain degree. Um, her father was an economist. Her mother was a scientist. Uh, the but she she has all the naming and claiming that she needs 
to basically be able to look at African-American voters, be able to look at the growing number of minority voters inside the Democratic Party and say, look, be cool. You got to give me a little running room here so that I can deal with these other folks. And if that works, I, I, I named her the front, front runner. That may not last, but I, I truly believe that Harris is the one to beat. And I also think that she is the one that Trump should be the most afraid of. Yeah, and she, he doesn't have a nickname for her yet. Well, and what, what, What's that nickname going to be? Yeah, what nickname are you going to come up with for her? I don't know. And, I mean, that's why that, he's you know he's good at it, but he's, he's taking his time on this one. There, there were there were far and you know less. I hate the nicknames, but anyway, I have to admit were, that he's good at it. There are not Donald Trump should hope that Hillary Clinton runs again and wins because uh, that's that's the only way that he can really be sure that he will have that he will have at least a good as as good of a chance to win again as he did the first time. But I want I did want to ask you this with with Florida and Ohio. Really looking like red states now. Yep. Well, uh, Ohio, yes. Hundo P on Ohio. Florida is evenly divided. Okay, evenly divided. But the Demo- what I've been reading in the New York mm-hmm. Times, no less, is that no Democrats less. are worried that Florida is slipping away from them. And they should be. Okay. So does that give President Trump a lot of cushion going into 2020? No. What do you mean? Why? He won both from those the states. electoral college. I know. I know. But... He didn't and didn't. Ohio was basically uncontested. Nobody spent time or money in Ohio. Um, and Florida was not a the, Trump winning Florida was not not a surprise because he had been steadily ahead in the polls there. Democrats did contest it, but that was one of the states that they backed out of as as we got down to the end. The 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 question that must be answered for Trump if the election was held today, would he win again in Pennsylvania Michigan and Wisconsin, and the answer is no. Okay, uh, it, he would not. Well, if if he were running against ah, if he were running against a quote generic Democrat, he would lose badly in those three states. But he won't be running against a generic Democrat, so they have to hope that they can draw somebody or help. Sh- and and Trump will help shape the Democratic primary process. Um, that they can help pull – just as the Clintons wanted Trump. Oh, we want Trump. Let's have Trump and then he'll be a punching bag and we'll beat him up and then he beat her. Um, but the Trump will try to, to shape and steer the democratic process. But the reality is if he can't repeat that straight flush that he pulled, uh, that he drew in the upper Midwest again, he's got trouble. And there's also trouble in Arizona – that he's got to think about Arizona. He's got to look at Georgia. They have to Republicans seriously have to look at these states as actual potential problems. North Carolina is no joke, um, and the 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 map is pretty narrow, and it will depend on winning in those upper Midwest states. Narrow, and, and by the way, for the by Democrats the way, you get, too. Well, it, it the the you can you can look at it either way. But the the truth for Democrats, they have a couple of paths that they could try to pursue, depending on who their nominee is. Do they try to make? Do they try to take some Sunbelt strategy where Arizona, maybe Texas, Georgia? Do they do that, or do they go back to the old school, try to uh, turn out African American voters who didn't turn out for Hillary Clinton and shore up their problem with white working class voters in the Upper Midwest? They have sort of choices. Republicans don't. Because and Trump doesn't because he has to do both, right? <laughs> there's 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 only one path and it's to win every state that he won before. Um, for Democrats, there's places where they could pick off a state here or there and and change the dynamic. 
Mm, interesting. Well, um, you must have had a lot of coffee because we've like almost run out of time. And we don't did even you need ask the internet bag. for questions? No. Did you ask? No. No. Did you? No, I did not. It was your turn. So somebody needs to remind us. I'm okay if the mailbag di- – I don't – I mean – I don't like the mailbag. It was fun because it gave us different things to talk about. Others, maybe people get bored of just talking about politics. Well, we did – Or maybe uh, they get mad when we don't talk about politics. You know what? This, this is why journalism is better than social media. That's why good journalism is better than good social media. True. True. Which is people want – our job is to choose. I'm an editor. You're an anchor. We make choices through the day. We make choices about what's important to us and what we think is important to talk about. And then people should be able to count on our judgment. And I think the degree to which somebody said the other day about the tail wagging the dog. Um, I said that. Oh, you said that? Yeah. Well, no wonder it was so smart. Um, the, uh, we need about a the tail- side effect for that. The, t- the tail wagging the dog where social media drives the m- mainstream media, what we're, what we're saying is driven to, uh, to a substantial degree by what happens on social media. And that's dumb. It's so dumb. But So dumb. So dumb. Okay. Um, you might ready, want your trivia? Trivia, trivia, I want trivia. It. Okay. I want it. Number, I have three questions. Number one, okay. who was the last mayor to run for president? I read it this morning, 1992, the mayor of – it was a city in California, and I want to say that it was Oxnard, California, and I can't remember his name. Ah, you're forgetting Rudy Giuliani. Oh, yes. Duh. I don't think of him as a mayor anymore. Yeah. <laughs> He's a lawyer now. He's something. He is something. He's worried about his gravestone. Me too. We all should be. Okay. Mine, mine will say, here lies Chris who did not, although I am back on my bacon regimen, so I'm feeling good about that. Wait. You were off bacon? Well, I was not. I used to eat four or five strips of bacon every morning, and that was a good way to balance, like get my day started on the right foot so I wouldn't get hungry too soon. Now that I have my palatial uh, residence – the the manse, I am now able to have my coffee as I like it in the morning. I see. And I, see, and I am I see. able to have my bacon. How do you as make I like your bacon in the, in the morning? In the well, microwave? If I have time, I do it in the skillet. But yes, the uh, Kirkland brand, which is basically the Hormel Black label under a different name, the Kirkland brand microwavable bacon is excellent. Truly good. Hmm. Oh, by the way, I just see a Fox News alert. President Trump has told Pelosi the State of the Union will go ahead as planned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, good. Here we go. Okay, question number two. Four candidates won state victories in the crowded 2016 Republican presidential primaries. So four candidates won state victories in the crowded 2016 Republican primaries. Can you name them? Do we consider – are we talking about only state primaries or are we talking about – the, does, is the District of Columbia included in this list? No. Okay. Uh, all right. Four candidates who won state primaries include, well, Iowa's a caucus, but Ted Cruz won Iowa. Yep. Um, Rubio won mm-hmm. D.C. Yep. But, Virginia. Okay. And Virginia? No. no wait. Where did he 
Which one? DC. We're looking? No. Oh, Minnesota. Oh, okay. There, you never know. That was uh, in question one? three, so I've already given you one away from question three. So, so wow, this crew- we are just screwing up this trivia. <laughs> I'm sorry, America. I'm sorry, radio directors that h- hire us, you know, to do this podcast for you on Sunday when people are coming home from church. We are going to pick it Cruz, up. Cruz, Rubio, yep. Trump, and Kasich. Yes, and yes. which state was not won by either Donald Trump or Ted Cruz? Which state was not? Well, that would be Ohio and Minnesota. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. That's very easy, actually, Jason. Actually. Actually, I'm just making a decision. Do I eat the Atkins bar, or do I which wait? flavor? Uh, oh, the um, caramel chocolate nut roll bar. It's a good product. It's like Snickers bar. It's a good product. That yeah. is a very good product. But I will warn you, they disagree with some people's digestive. No, oh, I'm good. Okay. Thank you, though, for yes. that um, concern. For a warning for you, for a warning for you and those around you. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm good though. I'm all okay. fine on that front. All fine. All fine. Very good. Okay. Well, anything else? No, just uh, it, I, whatever happens with the State of the Union, I look forward to to doing it with you, uh, whether it's uh, here in Washington or uh, in a field in Texas. Looks it, like it's going to be, be here in Washington. I wonder. Maybe the Democrats won't show up. I don't know. Yeah, it, it it's going to be pretty dumb. Whatever it is, it's going to be pretty dumb. Right? Would you tell if you were Pelosi? Would you be like, I'm not going. I'm not going. And then the if picture I, is all screwed up. And then does that? I mean, I'm gonna. I, I'll have to look at the letter. But if I was Pelosi, I would say, I asked you to talk to me about rescheduling this. Mm-hmm. I am the host here. I asked mm-hmm. you to talk to me about rescheduling. Now Trump right. was trying to do the like, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't read any letter. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I that he's the responded. Email. Right. I didn't, I didn't get, get that an email. email. I just showed up. <laughs> um, I'm here with my case of Limeritas. Um, if I'm Pelosi, then I would respond to Trump and say, hey, got your letter back. Again, want to clarify, I wanted to change the date of my invitation to you, and let's do that now. I'm available to talk to you whenever you want about proceeding on this front. And if Trump refuses, basically at this point – this is each of them trying to make the other one look more unreasonable. And the way that she can make him look more unreasonable is to say, I'm pleading with you. Please talk to me about a time where this would be better suited to do and he, so that he will say well, but no. Don't, but so as Jake Sherman of Politico pointed out, that the House and the Senate both have to pass a resolution to have him come. Right. So she, they're not going to pass one in the House. No. Oh, man. What a mess. What but a anyway, mess. I'll be around. I'll be, the, I'll be available to comment. We'll be, and, we'll be and great. Opine. Opine. All right. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Don't forget, subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever review you it. listen. Leave us a review so that we can have some bragging rights around here and maybe get some water <laughs> and side effects. All right. This has been Perino and Starwell. I'll tell you what on Fox News Radio.